Welcome to the show. How was your training business week? Today we're speaking with Zilka Kerner of DEX Training, that's DEX or Digital and Experiential Training, based in the city of Cologne in the west of Germany. Silke is managing partner of DEX, which she co-founded in 2018. She has, as you'll hear, vast experience in learning and development, having run training businesses in Australia, Brazil, and now in Germany. This is episode nine of the Training Business Podcast. Thanks for your time today. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, and welcome to the show. As I say, every week just after the music, I'm your host, Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the podcast for you, for training business professionals all around the world, helping you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Today's guest is Zilka Kerner, a training business owner and highly experienced consultant speaking to us live this morning from Cologne in Germany. Let's meet Silke. Good morning, Silke, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Mark. Thanks. So you're based in Cologne in Germany. That's correct, yeah. What's that like? Oh, it's great. It's a great city. Um, a lot is happening, actually, uh, especially regarding new startups and, and um, yeah, just new work things. It's actually quite amazing. I've only been here um, for two years now being back after about 30 years. So it's great. And where are you from originally in Germany? Well, I am originally from, from Cologne, but I've moved around quite a bit. And I understand you speak Portuguese. I do, yeah. I lived in Brazil for a number of years. And um, yeah, so <laughs> you need to speak Portuguese to, to work there and live there. So you speak it fluently? Yeah, I do. And, and what was like? what was life like in Brazil? Oh, it's quite different it's quite different um i used to live in rio de janeiro so it's you know very much the beach culture and um people are very laid back and happy to party at um any moment um and at the same time of course it's it's uh you know it's a country with a lot of social differences and there's a lot of violence there's a lot of crime and uh, Rio is a huge city, so you've got all the problems there also. But you have fantastic nature, fantastic beach, and great climbing. So, yeah, it's, it's a real mixture. What an experience. Yeah, no, it was great. A real eye-opener. I went there first when I was 24, so, yep, that was different. <laughs> and you also spent four years in Australia. I did, yeah, about four and a half years, yep. What was that like? Oh, that was... Um, that was actually really nice. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had also lived before in, in the UK and um, in the US. So before going there, um, I kind of imagined, oh, it's, it's probably going to be uh, something like a mixture of those two countries. And it actually was. Um, but uh, I worked for uh, a company, actually the, the biggest provider for outdoor education programs in um, Australia um, as a senior executive there and uh, the the head office was actually in the bush 
So there was a lot of nature around, a lot of kangaroos, of course, and cockatoos and all kinds of birds and <laughs> wildlife. <laughs> really amazing. Wow. Yeah. Lots of fires in the summer, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. And, and great people. Very open, very laid back also. So that kind of reminded me actually of Brazil a little bit. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I love the Australians. They're, they're so just direct, honest, open, straightforward people. Yeah, that's right. So you're back in Germany now. Good to be back? Yeah, I've been back uh, for about two years now. And how's it going? Yeah, it's really good. You know, I, uh, I started working uh, for actually for a training company, a leadership development company in, um, based in Vienna in Austria. Um, and then just recently uh, started my own company together with a colleague. Um, and it's been going great. I mean, we're in the beginning and uh, it's actually taking off much faster than we imagined it would. And that's the business DEX, Digital and Experiential. Exactly. That's DEX, Training and Consulting. Correct. So how did you choose the name and what does that actually mean to you? Because often choosing a name for a business is a, is a thing a lot of... You know, consultants or trainers struggle with how do I stand out? What does my name mean? What does it mean to me? And what will it mean to other people? Yeah, that's right. So uh, you're correct. So we spend a lot of time <laughs> thinking about the names and coming up with the, um, a variety of ideas. And in the end, we decided on DEX because, um, you know, it, it includes exactly what you said. It's digital and experiential. Uh, at the same time, it's, it's short and easy to remember. Um, and also, I mean, it's in a way it's kind of neutral. So if, you know, in the future we decide to kind of, um, change direction a little bit, it doesn't really matter so much, but obviously it just talks right now to what we, um, see as our USP and that is combining experiential learning with, um, digital tools and, um, just online learning. So, uh, so digital, as you said, uh, is online learning. It's it's the it's the it's taking advantage of this um, trend for uh, remote learning or for self directed learning. So, people using CRMs and using step by step modules online. Yeah, you know, um, actually, not so much the self directed modules or or those um, fixed modules. Self directed learning, yes. But because um, we are focused on um, behavior change and soft skills training, there isn't so much content that we need to deliver. There's more inspiration um, or inspirational content that we deliver and actually providing a platform for people also to meet and exchange and support each other. Um, but also to, and that is an, an important aspect for self-directed learning, um, to kind of um, curate their own learning process so they can contribute with their own formats or their own content um, to, to actually make that learning process something that is very individual or that is um, tailored to a specific, let's say, project group, for example. Okay. Um, so... Let's just say I'm I'm a prospective client, and I'm not looking for you to give away any uh, trade secrets <laughs> here. But let's say I come to you and I say, okay, um, I love the name, digital experiential learning. That makes sense. What can you do for me? Yeah. So basically, what we say is, um, you know, that we can uh, provide two aspects 
of learning that is uh, that are really important for behavior change. So, you know, when we talk about um, soft skills or, you know, staff development, usually what we mean is we need new behaviors or, or specific behaviors at, you know, certain points during the workflow. And um, what people need for that is um, that it needs to be relevant for them. So nobody will change their behavior if it doesn't seem uh, important for them. And uh, they also need to feel that um, it benefits them. So back at work, they need to immediately feel that if they apply this change behavior, that they um, either, either it gets easier to, to work or they get positive feedback or something. Um, so if, if they if they want to change behavior, they, they need to feel that. And uh, with the combination of, let's say, experiential workshops, which are kind of standalone interventions with the digital learning um, opportunities, we can transform this into a, a coherent process uh, that provides for deep learning and deep learning um, you know, is a condition for behavior change. It's not something that you can absorb, you know, superficially. And yep, you know, we all know we need to um, exercise and eat less um, to to stay fit and everything. But we all have difficulties, so there there needs to be something more uh, in order for us to actually change our behaviors. Let's talk about behavior for a moment. Why is behavior? So important. It's just, it's a term derived from psychology, but why is behavior so important to someone who is a trainer? Trainers traditionally might say, "Well, look, you know, you want me to do a leadership module? I do it. There it is. There's the PowerPoint. There's the workbook. Why should a trainer worry about the impact or the significance of behavior in the mind of the person being trained?" Well, I think um, you know, it's again, it's about relevance. So the behavior or a change behavior, I mean, this is where I manifest my, you know, beliefs and, and attitudes and also um, how a company can define the contribution um, of their staff to their um, business goals, for example. So then there need to be specific behaviors if uh, you want to achieve specific goals or if you have, um, you know, a value system then you need to manifest that somehow. And that is always uh, through behavior. So um, in order to actually change something and improve something, it always comes back to behavior. But for behavior change to happen, you also need to have uh, a supporting structure around that. So it doesn't, it's not um, enough to say, okay, you know, we need to give feedback or receive feedback or, you know, do the whatever leadership meetings, whatever, in a specific way. You actually need to create the circumstances back at work that support this and that actually ask for this change behavior. Yeah. So I think one way of looking at this is that when organizations buy services of trainers or coaches, people like people like you and me, um, what they're actually looking for is not the training itself. They're looking for the transformation or the change in behavior that comes about as a result of the training. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the important trend I think that is happening is that now companies start to realize that 
it is not enough to say, okay, you know, something needs to happen with this team here. Uh, let's send them away, you know, for a couple of days and then bring them back to me and they're fixed. Uh, they actually are realizing that they have a, a crucial role in making sure that any new behavior uh, can actually be applied and, and is actually um, recognized and appreciated um, back at work. So in effect, the training is just the beginning. Uh, what, what counts really to generate return on investment, and we'll talk about that later on, is the fact that a company has made just a first step. They have taken people away from their uh, jobs and they've actually put them with someone like you. But now they also have a role to play to ensure that the training which you've given them, given the the delegates on, on the training program, can actually feel supported and want to change. They actually want to transform themselves. Absolutely. And that is probably um, the most crucial aspect um, and probably a, a massive paradigm shift that um, clients need to perform when they really want to get return on investment on their training. And I think with globalization, uh, more and more companies become aware of how important strategic planning is and, and acting accordingly, and that staff development or leadership development is not an ad hoc, you know, spontaneous thing, and we do it because we now have the money or something, but that any um, uh, training program or campaign actually needs to feed into a strategic uh, goal and needs to be a strategic initiative. So they really need to become engaged and they need to realize that um, the company leadership as well as the supervising managers of the delegates are actually stakeholders in the training and it's not just the participants. So what kinds of conversations do you find yourself having to encourage decision makers, strategic decision makers in client organizations that they need to look at training differently. It's not just a case of you come in and you fix things. And as you said, they're, they're now magically um, changed. (laughs) What kinds of conversations do you have, do you find yourself having to help people to see there's a strategic imperative to training and development? It's not just a one touch, it's multiple touches. And it also involves, um, you know, feeding this into their overall strategic plan yeah it's it's actually um usually a series of conversations and um you know i would be lying if i said you know it's just a conversation and people are yep that's great fantastic um you know it's usually uh they realize that that this entails a lot of work and actually a lot of work before any training program um so that takes up resources and time um, to become clear about their role, to become clear about uh, what they actually want to achieve and why, what the purpose is uh, of this whole program. Um, so, you know, usually it's it's a process of approximation that happens um, over a period of time. And, um, you know, many times we will end up delivering training with uh, very little of this strategic involvement happening. But then, you know, in the follow-up and follow-through, we continue the conversations and then um, over a period of time, usually, you know, we get people to recognize. And every once in a while, we, you know, we have people that approach us and they're already quite aware and quite advanced 
um, and mature actually in their, you know, in their own perception of their roles. So it's, it's a number of conversations, um, because as I said, it's, it's a massive paradigm shift and, um, it's not only an attitude, but you need to dedicate resources and, and time and energy, um, to actually make that happen. As I said, the, you know, if you, if you don't provide a different structure back at work, uh, there's no way a behavior change can successfully be implemented. You know, you might have a couple of delegates that are strong enough and so forth that can actually do it, but the vast majority will just fail or not even try because it seems it's, it's not wanted. It's, um, people, you know, supervising managers or whoever contracted them have, have just been serving lip service. Do you find that sometimes if the supervisors or people who commission you to deliver the training, if they themselves are not on the training program or, or take part in this, do you find that that somehow makes the training, the success of the training less likely? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they, you know, they don't necessarily need to be on the training program um, uh, in being at um, presence workshops. So, you know, workshops where that are offside and where things are happening, but at least they need to be involved in the learning process. And again, that's where we use our learning platform to do so. But ideally, of course, um, people can be there. Um, nowadays, it, it might be difficult, um, you know, for, for everyone to get to a place and that is a specific time. But, uh, you know, with the digital um, possibilities, we can involve people that are not physically there and they can also have a role and they have specific roles, for example, as, as learning coaches. And we need to coach those coaches because supervisors usually are not trained to be learning coaches. But, you know, that, of course, can be done. It's, you know, it's a set of techniques. Um, and we can involve them this way. And, and if they're not involved, um, if they don't demonstrate engagement as a stakeholder, then the likelihood of any um, positive outcome is greatly reduced. Do you think that uh, training evaluation uh, is also crucial to the success of a program. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if you're talking about um, making a, a development campaign, a strategic initiative, then, um, you know, again, of course, you need to uh, know the purpose, you need to have goals, and you need to have certain leading indicators. Um, and for, for uh, these to be measured, of course, you need to evaluate. So you, you need to do some prep work before and define all these things and then you need to evaluate to see whether or how much this training actually um, has achieved the desired outcomes. And the reason I'm, I'm asking that is because I noticed that you've got um, a Kirkpatrick uh, certification and for people who don't know uh, what Kirkpatrick means, it, it you can, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but it's generally perceived by the training community to be perhaps one of the best ways for an organization to evaluate whether a training program has been successful. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, um, you know, when you do the um, certification, so, you know, I've got a bronze uh, certificate, which is essentially the lowest level means, which means, you know, you can apply the, the methodology. You also obviously learn how to design um, uh, a program, um, towards reaching those goals. 
And uh, actually, you know, you have um, loads of forms and, and helps to uh, help to um, have those conversations with the contractor. So, um, you know, what you do is you don't, uh, you, you not just evaluate the program using the, the Kirkpatrick New World model, um, but you also prepare the conversations and then you can design the, the program um, with the answers that you got. Uh, making sure that uh, you can have a solid evaluation afterwards. And there are classically four levels. And this is based upon work that someone called Donald Kirkpatrick, an American, um, I think he was a past president of the uh, the ATD, as it's called nowadays. It used to be called the, the American Society for Training and Development. And he came up with this four-level model, um, which I've used as well, um, and the first one is reaction. This is often where an organization, through the use of evaluation sheets or happy sheets. Yeah, the happy sheets. Okay, just whether, you know, the training was a success. Do people enjoy themselves? Do they feel it helped them? Uh, what do they feel about the training uh, and, and whether it impacted them in any way? Number two is learning, which is, has there been some kind of measurable increase in knowledge uh, or skills? For example, can someone now use a particular piece of software uh, which they couldn't use beforehand? Yeah, or a set of techniques or something. Yeah. So this stage levels one and two are still not quite... They're not really evidence-based. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not quite enough to say whether training's been successful. It's, it's often based upon what, what a, a delegate feels and, and what they think they've learned. But level three comes back to what you were talking about at the beginning of this, um, Silke, which is behavior. And this is where uh, a training uh, company or a training consultant can prove to an organization and say, look, th- we can now measure this. We can see that through observation or through other uh, measurements, people are now actually doing something differently. They're talking differently. They're acting differently. They they may have a change in attitude, but there's an actual measurable change in job behavior due to the training program. Absolutely. And then level four is uh, the business outcomes, um, where you tie these behaviors um, to the business outcomes. So, you know, what kind of impact those behaviors actually have on, on the spread goals. Um, so I found this model, uh, very, very helpful, um, because of that. And you, you have, um, language and you have tools, um, you know, to work together with the contractor, um, to develop these things, because it is not something that you can do on your own. You need to develop those, uh, leading indicators together with the client. Uh, there's no way, I mean, there, there, it acts, it, it's actually quite dovetailed. So, um, you know, the, uh, Donald uh, Kirkpatrick, he, he, um, developed those four levels and his son and wife, uh, so he developed this in, in 57, I think. So in the fifties, it's very old, but, um, his son and, and his, uh, um, the son's wife, they kind of turned the model around and that's why it's now called the new world model. So they say it needs to start with level four. So with the business outcomes, you know, what does the company want to achieve? And then uh, what are the leading indicators? What are the behaviors? And then uh, the the learning that needs to happen um, and the uh, satisfaction of the participant, That those are actually two things that are essentially in the training provider's hands. So I can influence my quality of my my um, program, of course, 
and um, you know the the trainers that I use, how how um, expert they are and, and uh, how professional they are. But the levels three and four, the behaviors and the business outcomes, those need to be defined together with the client necessarily. Um, and a lot of the measurement will actually be in the hands of the clients. Right. So that's something you have to agree on. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, again, you know, that's difficult because <laughs> it needs um, paradigm shift. It needs energy. It needs money. It needs resources to actually want to do this and being, being able to do this. So paradigm shift, uh, for people who are listening to this and thinking, what is a paradigm shift? Paradigm shift, I suppose, um, maybe you can explain this better. I would think it's it's something which causes a, a shift in how you view something. It's it's a perspective change. Is that is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you know, usually a paradigm is is actually a little bit stronger than a perspective, but uh, it actually is something that you know you believe. Uh, it's, you know, it's a set of maybe beliefs that you have how things ought to be done, um, and uh, why they need to be done this way. And uh, so it's 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 a bit more difficult than just changing your perspective because it actually touches your beliefs and uh, what your experiences have been so far. And that I think is something I'm not sure whether it's Stephen Covey who came up with that term, but I think it was referred to in his book, the the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm, yeah, that could be. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he tells a story of how um, someone witnessed a disturbance on a train. He was really angry with the occupants uh, of the carriage, the people who were causing the noise. And then he found out something about why they were making the noise. It was quite actually emotional. And then realized he now see, saw the, the, the situation from a completely different angle. So a paradigm shift <clears throat> comes back to the... Um, the idea that if people don't see how the training is going to help them or why they should be involved in, in making that successful, it won't really happen. It won't really be embedded. I think that's the term. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, we come back to, to relevance and there, there needs to be relevance, uh, relevance for the participants as well as for uh, the company and, um, and the supervising managers. You also mentioned briefly a moment ago, uh, looking for, particular skill sets in trainers. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment. You work with contractors or uh, freelance trainers and you, you bring them in to deliver some client work. What do you look for from training consultants? Let's say someone's listening to this and thinking, yeah, you know, I've got stuff I can do. I could see how this could be useful. My experience could be useful to DEX. What would you look for in that person and how would they approach you successfully? Yeah, so what I usually look for in, in trainers is um, probably, first and foremost, um, authenticity. Um, so when I speak to them, that they seem to be, um, you know, authentic and um, I guess really engaged in, in what they do and uh, their, their motives to do so. So... Um, you know, lots of people are in the training business because they love to support people and, and help them, um, just feel better at work or, uh, grow as a person and so forth. And, uh, so that's, you know, that's really important that they have, um, a set of, uh, motivations and a set of strong values. Um, again, those values, I think need to, <laughs> 
definitely in, include integrity. They need to include respect um, for other people and, and appreciation. So those are some, you know, basic things that don't say anything about the skills yet. But I think that's important as uh, in characteristics. And then um, I'd be looking for what experience um, people have, how long they have been in the business and with what kind of um, target groups they have worked. So, you know, if I work with leaders and their senior leaders, I would certainly look for somebody who has their own leadership experience and has not only been a trainer for 30 years or something, but actually has been in the seat of the person. So I usually like to look for people that, um, that have this personal experience. I guess, again, it depends a little bit on the, on the target group and, um, on what the training needs to achieve. Um, but for example, if it's a, you know, if it's a process, uh, a team process, and let's say there's a lot of facilitation, um, of for team development or, um, goal development or something, uh, I'd be looking for uh, somebody who is very quick on their feet in thinking and um, is strong in critical thinking so that they can, you know, really take what's happening um, and what people are saying um, in the group and transform that into some, you know, something valuable and uh, that people can then work with. Um, I'd also be looking for um, people that have uh, a variety of tools. So I'm not so thrilled by people who work with a specific model and they apply it to everything. So I'm, you know, I'm more uh, looking for people who have a great perception of um, group dynamics and also empathy for people so that they can see what is going on. They can, they can feel they have good intuition and then, they can apply whatever is needed from their toolkit. So it sounds to me like a lot of the things you're talking about are things which are really in the eye of the beholder. In other words, these are things which you or your business partner would have to get a feel for. They're less, they're less, um, they're less, how would I say formal? Uh, you're not looking for a, just a degree in psychology or, or uh, train the trainer. You're looking for characteristics. Yeah. So how are you going to measure those? Is it just gut feeling or is there something else at work here? <laughs> so, you know, usually I, um, I interview people and sometimes it's informally just, you know, having a chat when I meet people. Um, and, and I ask, of course, specific um, questions that, that lead people to talk about their experience or what they have done. So, I, you know, I'd like to hear concrete examples. Um, and uh, other other uh, and other occasions, it's just uh, informal, and people tell me about their things. Um, and uh, other times, again, you know, I hear people recommending specific people, and then I would chat with them. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's questions and and the answers. And I have, um, you know, I've gone with people that I hadn't worked with before. Um, a number of times and uh, just based on, on the, on the interview, whether it was, you know, formal or not. Um, and usually, usually that works, not all the time, but yeah. Not all the time. So it, someone doesn't have to be perfect, but they, they need to have some degree of credibility. And you mentioned the fact that what's important to you is the fact that um, 
they have done this thing before. So if they're, for example, in sales or they want to train in sales, they need to have been in a sales position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect you know, sense. I mean, there, there are some there are some people that that haven't and that um, have only worked as trainers and and uh, are very good at it. But that's a very specific. I think it's a very specific skill set to be able to transfer whatever experiences um, you know you had uh, into different contexts. And that's actually something I'm looking for. But the greater that um, capacity is, the less important. It might be to have this experience, but if we're talking about a process, um, you know, facilitating a process that is highly strategic, um, you, you need to have walked in those people's shoes to really understand what is happening and what kind of questions you need to ask. If it's, you know, I'd say a more basic, you know, team development and it's more about feedback, creating a feedback culture within a team or something, um, then it's uh, much easier to transfer experiences. And even if you haven't been in the specific sector or, or you know, job that these people, uh, the participants are. I see. Okay. Where is, um, where is DEX going to be in, let's say, two years time? And, and how are you going to get there? Well, uh, you know, our plan, of course, is to um, be a pioneer <laughs> in combining um, experiential learning with uh, digital learning. And, uh, you know, speaking from a European uh, perspective, uh, we seem to be out there. But in two years time, uh, we'd like to be a reference um, for doing this. And uh, how we're going to get there? Um, essentially, it's it's a two-pronged approach, I guess. It's talking about clients that uh, we've had for a number of years uh, just for the experiential trainings and having these conversations that we talked about before um, and trying to, to create relevance. And on the other hand, also talking to trainers because there are a lot of trainers um, that do only experiential training and they say oh god digitalization horror you know we've got nothing to do with us and then we've got people that are totally on the train and they only do online training and uh you know um kind of they believe that is the solution so uh we are also trying to talk to to people and educating people in the training business um to see whether we can convert <laughs> people and and of course it's uh, some of them are are naturally interested and some of them are well on the way as well is that hard work do you think tra training prospective clients about why they need you and and how you can help it it always is it always is i mean they can um it you know it depends on their experience uh for example if you know if we're talking about old clients and uh, they've known um, us personally, so our company is quite, quite fresh, but, you know, we have clients that know us from uh, other walks of life before. Um, and uh, they have only ever done those offsite workshops and have never really thought about uh, how to seriously transfer <laughs> what is happening on those workshops in this, uh, those workshops to the workplace. Then, you know, it's, it's a longish uh, process. With new clients, it's probably easier because, um, you know, as you said yourself, digitalization is a bit of a buzzword. So 
those clients seem to be interested more readily in in using this approach. Um, but what also you know could be difficult some some clients they think uh, online training means cheaper um, because you know you can do it uh, uh, everywhere and 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 you don't have the travel costs and you need to uh, you don't need to um, bring people together and so forth and for our type of training as I said with behavior change and soft skills training that is not the case. We, we do have this blended approach and uh, it will not save the money. It will just make sure that the investment um, is, is, has a great return. Where can people find out more about your business? Well, they can do so online, of course, at uh, www.dextraining.de for Germany. Um, and that's where you find links also to our learning platform, um, and uh, yeah, of course, they can get in touch with us anytime. Yeah, I'm going to put those um, links, etc., in the show notes to the podcast episode. Um, so that's uh, dextraining.de, de being, of course, the uh, domain name for Germany. Yeah, exactly. And they can also, of course, find you, as everyone can be found these days, I guess, in, in the training business on LinkedIn. Of course. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and for, for Germans. Of course, on, on Xing or Xing. Xing, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, a member of that for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in Germany, that's uh, the, the main source. Yeah. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes too. It's been wonderful th talking to you, Silke. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Sure. I love it. Thanks, Mark. Silke, I know you're listening to this, so thank you again for your time this morning. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy training week to listen to this episode of the podcast here on trainingbusiness.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show for training business like this every single Thursday. Leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, which we'd be really grateful for because this helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests like Silke, Kevin M. Yates, Katie, and others whose expertise and advice can help you with your training business. Check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and of course on our website. Where else? www.trainingbusiness.com. Join me next week for episode 10. That's next Thursday. Until then, take care. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.